0: to those who are scattered I am writing to you in Pontus that you may stand firm in the faith in Cappadocia that you may have joy despite your suffering in Asia that you may prepare your minds for action that you may arm yourselves with wisdom to wage war against the enemy. Go forth with the courage of Christ and the grace of the God who owns all things. Exile. This morning in this, uh, during the message, we're going to be receiving communion, and if you did not get a communion cup, um, you can uh, pick one up, or you can slip out real quick and go get one uh, there in the lobby. And for those of you that are home, we're going to be receiving communion shortly. I'd like to encourage you to get up and get yourself a cracker, or a piece of bread, and uh, a little sip of something to have with us so that you can enjoy communion with us as well. Today we're continuing in our series of messages from First Peter, Instructions to the Scattered Church. I uh, I find this, both books of Peter, to be so helpful, encouraging, and strengthening to us. I hope that you're encouraged by what we're going to share today. Today we're in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, so if you'll turn there with me. Uh, growing up, our family used to have certain TV shows that we watched. One of them was the show that Brent showed us last week, Candid Camera, uh, Chris said how could anything be so hilarious and it was clean you know it seems like everything on TV there's always something but boy wasn't that hilarious that that was that was so great but we watched some other shows when I was a kid and they all seemed to have the kind of similar theme there was to tell the truth and there was what's my line and there's I've got a secret and they were all had the same idea in a way it was that there some some guests would come on and then a panel of celebrities would try to figure out who they were, or what their secret was, or what their job was. And uh, uh, through that, uh, I I just remember a lot of those shows were really interesting to me. I saw people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of uh, jobs, all kinds of uh, uh, surprising things about their life. And one of the things you always wanted to find out was, who are you? You want to know who they were. Who are you? Today, my message is, is actually titled that, Who Are You?, and the bible reveals here today a very important truth for us as we are going to discover from god's word who we are who we are is made up of many things it's made up of our of our lineage you know who we you know, what family we came from who our parents were what dna did they pass on to us but it's also much more than that it was our upbringing uh, the way we the, the values that were instilled into us the discipline that was brought into our lives and the experiences that we have in our lives certain things happen to us and it forms our character A person can be changed from who they are into something else. As a matter of fact, isn't that part of the good news of the gospel? That a person does not have to remain who they are. That we are transformed by the power of God. The Bible teaches us that salvation transforms us. And then after we're saved, we're continuing to be transformed. Not being formed, you know, not taking on the form of the world, but being transformed with a new thinking in our minds. And that's the good news of the gospel and who we are and who we are in Christ actually is a declaration of who influenced us. When, when, when I remember so many times, those of you who knew my mom would say, well, I can really see your mom in you because they saw that she influenced me. And uh, I hopefully, you know, I got good traits from her and was able to pass those on. Um, And we we pick up traits and we pick up character from our Savior, from Jesus, and we become more like him. So our identity is found in him, and people should be able to say, I see Jesus in you. And And the one who transformed you is showing up in you. So today, Peter's letter, the second chapter of his letter, deals with our identity, who we are and how we get to that point, and then as a changed person, how does that affect our testimony? So uh, we're going to be looking, first of all, is at how we become who we are. And we're going to start at verse number four. And Peter tells us that in Christ we have become God's spiritual house, a spiritual house. Peter says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but by, chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, when a person comes to Christ, they are added, as the Bible calls us, a living stone into a spiritual house. That's quite a Word pictures for you—a lot of metaphor in there, but it's also a, a spiritual truth that goes beyond just being a metaphor. It's a, it's part of our experience and part of our identity of who we are. Every time a person is saved, they become a stone in that spiritual house. Now, a spiritual house sounds to us through human thinking to be something that's kind of ethereal or or hard to get your hands on, not very concrete in our thinking, but. Everything about the spiritual world is more true than what we see in our current material world. Every time I, uh, nearly every time that I have a funeral service, a memorial service, I remind people of that truth, that the person that knew Christ that we are celebrating today is now with the Lord, their spirit is with the Lord, their soul is with the Lord, and that existence is more true powerful more real more concrete than our existence here on this earth but because of our human understanding and thinking we think that the most concrete most tangible thing that you can have exists here that it's it's got substance that we can touch and feel and see but the things in heaven are a million times more real to the people in heaven than life is here on earth the colors are more colorful. The sounds are more powerful. The relationships are more real. The things that people are experiencing in heaven, even though we know that you know that it's a spiritual existence, and, you know, soon will be a physical one when Jesus comes back. But that reality is more real than our life here. We are actually living in a fog. We are living in, a, in something that's that's out of focus. That doesn't that, that it is temporary and transitory. The former, the, when Jesus, when the Bible says here that we are part of a spiritual house, it means we're a part of a spiritual temple. When I was a little kid, we would sing a song in the pre-service for Sunday school. We're building up the temple, and we would do our hands. We're building up the temple, building up the temple, and we, and our our pastor. We had a lady pastor. If we didn't sing it every Sunday, she'd be at the back of the group and she'd shout out, "We haven't sang building up the temple." And so, you know, we would all sing building up the temple. Well. We are a part of a spiritual temple. And the Bible here is making a comparison between the physical temple that the people of the first century saw and touched and visited and the spiritual temple that Jesus was building with us as living stones. To them, it would naturally feel like the physical temple was more real because they could walk inside of it. They could feel it. They could look at the altars. They could, uh, they could bring an offering. They could, they could see and experience it all, where spiritually they had to have it by faith. But look at the difference between the spiritual and the physical. In the physical temple, every offering that was given was dead. They would bring, if they brought in a, a, a lamb or a ram or a bull or a, a, a dove or anything, it, it, it was it was soon killed and it, and it was offered dead, and, or they may have brought in a grain offering or a drink offering, but it had no life in it. Yet in the spiritual temple which we serve God in, all of our sacrifices are alive. We are bringing him our bodies as living sacrifices. We are bringing him the praises, the fruit of our lips. We are bringing him our prayer life. We are bringing the, the conversation that we have between brothers and sisters. We are—all of these things are alive, which makes us so much it makes so much more real than the than the physical temple. The physical temple was, would not endure. It wouldn't last for long. As a matter of fact, Jesus even told the disciples, he said, you know what? This whole place is going to be torn down till there won't be a stone upon another. And in 70 AD that happened. That temple ceased to exist. But I want you to know that the temple that God is building with us as living stones is not getting smaller. It's growing as God keeps adding new stones as new members of the body of Christ are added. Moment by moment, day after day, year after year, the temple grows larger and more powerful. So we are that living temple. (laughs) The second thing that Peter goes on to describe who we are is found in verse number 9. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Through Jesus... We don't have to come through a human priest, but through Jesus, we are made priests. The people of that time understood worship and their experience of worship was to come to a priest who would go to God on their behalf. But through Jesus Christ, we come to God ourselves because we have been made priests unto our God. And this kind of priesthood, this priesthood of the believer, is much more than what those Old Testament priests ever could have been. We have immediate access. We don't have to wait for a holy day. We don't have to wait for, the, for some moment in time or for some festival to come along or for the, for the Sabbath day to come in to make our sacrifice. You and I have immediate access to the very throne of God as his priest. And we serve God personally. There's no person between us and the Father. We come before the Father because we have been made a priest. And the Bible says we're chosen. We're chosen by God for this purpose. He called us out of the darkness and stumbling and, and having no direction in life into his marvelous, glorious light. How many of you have ever you know we all have this experience you you got to go through the bedroom you know there's no night light or anything sometimes chris goes to bed before me i stay up i'm doing some stuff and i'll i'll be in the light out in the living room and everything i'll turn all the lights off i'll head for the bedroom and i'll walk in there and i think there are traps in here for me to fall on you know there's something in the way here and i you know and and it Fumbling around in the darkness is dangerous. You don't know where you're going, what to do. I've run into stuff thinking I knew where I was, but I'm a foot off the path. You know, I don't know where I'm at. But we are, we are chosen by God to come out of darkness into light. Now, this title, Chosen People, stresses God's loving choice to bring the church to himself. In the Old Testament, God chose Israel. And I'm not saying we're replacing Israel, but... He chose them as a beloved and, and people unto Himself, and God has given us that same privilege—that we're chosen into a relationship with God. You are wanted by God. You're wanted by Him. It doesn't—it's not just that. Well, He has to take you. After all, He's taking other people. I guess He's got to take you too. No, He has chosen you. You are—you are beloved in His sight, and then this that we are a royal priesthood is something that I think most of us look at that and we say, what's it mean to be a royal priesthood? The word royal here is different than what we think of as royal, like the royals in England, which are a pretty together group of people. I'm sure you would agree. Uh, We're not like the, we're not, we're royal not because we were born into the right bloodline, we're royal because God has raised us. And the word royal here means to be made dignified. To be made dignified. Oh, what a wonderful thing God has done. We were not dignified. We, sin is, does not leave you in a dignified place. Sin leaves you with a, with a life of shame. Shame. Sin leaves you with a life of regret. Sin puts a mark upon you of, of always feeling like I, I'm always failing, I'm always doing the wrong thing, I'm always a disappointment. But God says, when you come to me and you have made, you've been made part of my family and we enter into relationship, he says, I make you Dignified. We are people who hold our heads up and say, I am not ashamed because I have Christ Jesus as my Savior. And it goes on to say that we're a part of the king's household. We have, we, we have relationship with him. We belong to God. Our identity is in him. And then Peter says in verse 10 that we are recipients of Mercy. Recipients of mercy. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now uh, you have received mercy. Once we were without identity, without family, without anyone in our lives, anyone who truly loved us and cared for us. But now, through Christ, people who were destined for wrath and destined for judgment have received mercy. 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 The good news is we are not receiving what we deserve. We're not receiving what we deserve. We have received his mercy. I'd like you to take your communion cups and just get it ready. Get it in your hand. Those of you at home, grab that piece of bread, that cracker. For those of you here, you can kind of peel back the top, the cellophane part, and you can get to the cracker here. And I want to ask you today... Will you take a moment and think with me, what have you received because Jesus went to the cross? What have you received? We just read that we received mercy, that we have been built into the family of God, that we have been made priests, that we have been made royal, that we have a place in his temple. I want you to think with me today what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. In chapter 2, verse 22, in the chapter wherein Peter describes the work of Jesus on the cross, when he said he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He, bore our, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Pay attention to this last section of Scripture with me. Jesus himself bore our sins on the tree that means the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness i want you to ask yourself today are you living for righteousness or have the sins of the past still been clinging and still trying to have life in you today i want to give you good news through christ you are dead to those old sins and if there is old sins, old practices, old failures that still are trying to reach out and grab you today, I want you to get the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says you and your sins have, been di- have died on the cross and you have been resurrected to a new life. Those sins have no power over you anymore. For those of you that would say, I, I, I bear such scars from my past, remember that at the cross, the Bible says here that his wounds bring our healing. Scars of the past don't have to dictate your future. And lastly, I love this last line that says that we have the opportunity to return to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. What is the health of your soul today? Through the cross of Jesus Christ, your soul is healthy and strong. But if you're not in relationship with him, you can come to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul today. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. I would like any person here would say, Pastor, my soul is not in good shape. My soul is not healthy. My life is filled with uh, regrets. Sin has a hold on me. Maybe you've never been saved, you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, or maybe you have wandered from the shepherd of your soul. Today, in this communion moment, is your opportunity to come to the shepherd the overseer of your soul. I would like every person at home and every person in this room to pray this prayer out loud with me. The reality of what God can do in your life is about to happen for you. And if you want Jesus to be the shepherd, the overseer of your soul, the savior of your life, call out to him in this prayer with me. Everyone, dear Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you, my shepherd and overseer, the one who truly cares for my soul. I receive your forgiveness, the work that you did on the tree. Become my Savior and my Lord from this moment. I will trust you. Amen. With your heads still bowed, your eyes still closed. How many people today here in the room said, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer for me. I've come to the shepherd of my soul. I've received his forgiveness. I've been put as a living stone into that temple just now. Maybe you're coming back to him or maybe this is the first time. If that's you, would you hold your hand up until I see you? Go ahead, hold it up. There are several in the first service. I'd like to join you with them. Thank you. Praise God for that. Thank you. Praise God for that. Those of you that just raised your hand, and by the way, those of you at home that just prayed this prayer, I want you to take a connection slip. You can go back and do it again. Put, Put your name in there. Let us know. That the decision you've made for Christ today. Those of you that are in the room that just raised your hand, following the service, I'm going to be right here in the front. I want you to come down and say hi to me. I want to give you some personal tools for going forward in your walk with God. Right now, friends, I want you to take this communion cup and take that wafer out. The Bible says that Jesus took bread the night. He is betrayed, and he said, this represents my body broken for you. Let's thank him that he bore our sins on the cross for us. Let's eat together with thanksgiving. You can peel back the foil part, get to the cup. The cup represents, as Jesus told us, his shed blood, which established a new covenant for us, a new new relationship with God. Our sins are removed from us through the blood of Jesus with thanksgiving. Let's drink this together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The second part of the scripture deals with since we are who we have become through Christ, how do we live? How do we live as people with this identity? With this identity of I am in Christ, this is who I am, it affects something that today I'm going to refer to as our testimony. What people see in us, and they say, oh, because of Jesus, that's, what's hap- that's what they're like. So let's look and see what the Bible says about our testimony. In verse number 11, we first of all find that We live for the glory of God. People who have received Jesus live not for themselves, but they live for the glory of God. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. We are aliens and strangers in this world. We are not part of this world. We are passing through. We're here for a short layover on the trip, okay? If I were traveling from here to the East Coast, there's a good chance that I'm going to stop somewhere. So I'm going to stop in Denver. I'm going to stop in Salt Lake City. Depending on the airline, I'm going to stop somewhere. But if I stop in Denver, that doesn't mean that I am now becoming a, a, a citizen of Colorado. I'm just changing planes. I'm just moving through. The fact that we live here on earth does not mean that we are actually citizens of earth because we have, become, we have come to Jesus. We're citizens of heaven and we're on layover here passing through to where we're really going. And so we don't adopt the lifestyle of the world. We don't live as the world. We abstain from things that are the sinful practices of this world because I'm not of this world, I'm of heaven. When we when we are when we go to a place that's foreign to us, we don't try to look like them and act like them. Uh, a few years ago, we went to uh, to Europe. Chris and I did, and I was excited. It was middle of summer, and I love wearing shorts in the summer. And I I said to myself, I am packing a boatload of shorts for this trip to Europe. So I got out. I even bought special, you know, new shorts to wear. And we got over to Europe. I was excited. I took mostly shorts because I knew it was going to be warm. And I found out something interesting when we got to Europe. Only little boys wear shorts in Europe. (laughs) It was pretty obvious to people where I was from. And I had a choice. I could run down to the store, and I could buy myself. They, everybody wore, like, things that looked like Dockers and things. They, they didn't even mostly wear jeans. They, uh, the men were, were, they dressed differently. And I, I could have run down and got pants to look like all of them so I could fit in. But do you know what I chose to do? I thought, I came to wear shorts. It's nice outside. And by gum, I'm wearing shorts. So I wore shorts. I looked like a little kid, but I was happy. All I needed was a pair of later hosen, you know. I could go out and yodel with them and stuff. Here's my point: you have the chance in this life to adapt to the world around you, or to be who you are. And God has called us to be who we are. We are children of light. We belong to the King. And I'm not going to change myself to look like the world so I can fit into the world because I'm not of the world. I'm only here on layover. We're passing through for what God has ahead of us. How we live reflects where we belong. In Hebrews, the, world say, the, the Bible says this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So we are looking forward to what's ahead. We we reference this in the video that you have at the beginning from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 when Peter says that he writes this letter to God's elect strangers in the world. Strangers doesn't mean strange people, strangers that we are strangers in this world. And that we are on our way to something better. So we do we do not develop our values from things that are temporary. That would be silly, wouldn't it? We develop our we, we build our values around what is eternal. We don't set our desires and our priorities on things that war against our souls. That would that's destructive. We put ourselves, people, sometimes we put ourselves in very difficult situations because we insist on adopting and adapting to the things of the world around us, and then we're wondering, why do I struggle in my walk with God? Because we have willingly adapted ourselves to the world. Some things that we can say, well, it's okay, and it's probably all right to do as a Christian, are adaptions to the world, and they actually hurt us in the long run. You and I are locked in a spiritual battle for our soul, and the benefit of winning is is not just for ourselves. The benefit of winning is ultimately for our testimony. It's not just that we'll make it to heaven. Look, I I think pretty much you're going to make it to heaven. But here's what's really important. Who will you influence along the way? That's our testimony. Because you and I have been called to an exemplary life. The Bible says, live such a good life among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and may glorify God on the day he visits us. That's an exemplary life. A life that lost people look at and they say, there's something special. There's something powerful. There's something that is different in a way that influences me to want to be better that word exemplarily comes from a latin term that means a sample we are actually a sample of jesus for lost people that when people see our lives and our light is brightly shining and we have not compromised with the world we have not adapted to this world we have not become like the place where we're just on layover but we have we have remained true to who we are then people can say, that's a sample of what I would like to be. That word sample, again, comes from Latin. It means uh, sample or example. It means to reach the highest point worth imitating. That people would say, I would like that life as well. I want that for me. Peter says people may accuse you of wrongdoing. They may try to actually besmirch your testimony. Besmirch means to cause damage or harm to something beautiful. They may try, but he says, they will not have any success because you are true to who you are and you are, you are going to give glory to God, and they will say, I too will be able to give glory to God because of what I saw in your life. So what's the answer when somebody does try to sully your testimony, when somebody does try to pull you down and to besmirch that beautiful thing, should you defend yourself? Should you say, I'm not? They say, you're just a hypocrite. I'm not. You're the hypocrite. No. What does Peter say? He doesn't say defend yourself. He doesn't say argue your way out of it. He says, just be better yet. Just get even gooder. Gooder, that's the, if you look it up, that's the right way to use gooder. You should do more good so that your testimony is even more bright so that the contrast is even greater so that they will say, so that's who a Christian is. This is who I am. I'm way over here. Christian is way over here. I need to be over there. That's what testimony is. You are an example as a neighbor. In verse 13, the scripture says, Submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. He is saying, since you are these born-again people who have come to the shepherd of your souls, who have an identity in Christ, then you live in a different way. Not in an argumentative, negative, controversial path. He says, you are to live as an example. An example of a person who loves peace, a person who honors others, a person who honors the king. And it's interesting that, In this uh, this phrase here, he says, Honor the king. He was saying to honor a king who was very ungodly. We're talking about Caesar. He says, Honor him. Nobody is ever going to agree with everybody else on politics. But he said, Honor that king. Nobody's ever going to agree on everything that happens around them, but we have a command to be agreeable people. Let me tell you something. You will never get anybody saved by changing their politics. No one will ever get to heaven and say, you know, I was lost in sin, but then I figured out how right my neighbor was about their politics, and now here I am in heaven because of that. No, no. People come to Christ because they are moved by the love and the power of God of God working in us. We've been called to be a testimony. Or even to be an example and a testimony when we're suffering. Now, this is one that nobody's signing up for. It's like, yeah, as part of my testimony, I'd like to take on some suffering because that'll help me be a better testimony. But suffering just comes in a natural course of events. We will have times in our life where there'll be suffering. In verse 18, Peter says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. I'm going to pause and talk to you about slavery of the day. Slavery always has been and always is a horrible thing. When we think of slavery, we think of the kind of slavery that we have in our country's history where people were were forcibly ripped out of their homes, and the injustice of that is, is uncalculable. And they were taken to foreign lands and made slaves for centuries. The horror of that And the shame of that is is awful. But the slaves that we're talking about here were slaves from a different perspective. These were people, because of their problems in life, their wrong decisions, or the things that happened in their lives, they had to sell themselves into slavery for a time period in order to satisfy their debts. And so these slaves not only had to have the sense of no freedom and no self-autonomy and and no decision-making in their lives— they also had that constant feeling of, I'm here because of what I did. I didn't make good decisions, or I could have had a better outcome, or I, I wasn't born into the right situation. And there was that, that, that sense of suffering that these folks had to deal with as slaves. And Peter commands slaves here, submit to your masters with respect, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God, how do you bear up under unjust suffering? You keep your thoughts on God. He says, you bear up under that unjust suffering because you're focusing on God. And in the time of suffering, in the time of things happening that are unjust to us, our testimony burns even brighter. Burns even brighter. He finishes this by saying, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Today, as we conclude, I'm just going to ask you a very simple question. Are you living for God's glory? The way to see your testimony burn brightly is to simply live for God's glory. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Look how that works. You do good works and God gets the glory. We think of it as I'll do good works and I'll get the glory. I'll cross the finish line and everybody will shower me with praise. No, Jesus said, you let your light shine. You live your life with good works and God will receive the glory. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that God will not share his glory with others. That our life is an opportunity to give him the glory. That we would be actively seeking for ways to bring glory to God. Are you living your life now? as a testimony that brings glory to God, to live and behave in a way, if it's in pleasure or if it's in pain, if it's in suffering or if it's in victory, no matter what is happening currently in our lives, that we would say, and through this, let God be glorified. And when he's glorified, our testimony shines bright. I would ask that you would make this the yardstick for life that you would say my decisions are based on is God being glorified. In this world, to stand out as holy and set apart for God. In this dark world, are you submitting to authority? We've, we've been through the, uh, uh, several years now of it's very popular to resist authority. In this dark world, God is calling us to be people of peace who submit to authority that we submit to authority in the workplace, that we would be people who give God glory in our business lives and in the marketplace where we deal on a regular basis. Or maybe you're in a time of suffering. Are you right now, through a time of suffering, able to say, and I'm a testimony for God? Would you bow your heads with me today? Actually, would you stand? As we're, gonna, as we're leaving today, the Bible says that it's God's will that we would that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. In view of what God has done with us, of putting us into this exalted place, of being the royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, chosen by him, built into his holy temple, our response today is pretty simple. Lord, be glorified in my life. No matter what I'm in, no matter what stage I'm in, pleasure, pain, suffering, victory, difficulties or time of growth, it makes no difference. I want to glorify you in my life. So would you lift your hands before the Lord right now and just shut yourself in with God? At home, do the same thing. Change position, lift your hands, and just offer yourselves to him today with me. Would you just begin to just uh, send it up right now? Father, I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. Today, Lord, let me be holy and acceptable to you. Father, I ask that you would now, Use my life for your purposes. Glorify yourself in me. Lord Jesus, I set aside everything in my life that has gotten me off the track, everything that may uh, take me another direction and dissuade me. Instead, Lord, I want to look into you, the one who I want to glorify. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Because today I feel led by the Holy Spirit to ask this question. Is there anybody here today who'd say, Pastor, please remember me in prayer as we're going to leave, because this thing that you have presented to me is a struggle for me. This is hard. I'm, I'm, I, I'm having a hard time. My life is, is, is going through some struggles, and the thought of being submissive, the thought of glorifying God, of being thankful in the middle of this, it's a struggle now. And I want this for my life, but I need God's special help for this. If that's you today, would you hold up your hand? As we're dismissing, I'm going to pray for you. Wow, thank you. There's several people. I knew it was from the Holy Spirit. Keep them up as I pray for you. Lord, around this room, hands are lifted saying, I I, I know this is true, but I also know it's hard. And so I ask you today by your Holy Spirit to strengthen these men and women who raise their hands, who say, "I, I need you. This is more than I can do. I need your special touch. I need the Holy Spirit to come on me in power. I need you to change my heart. I need you to give me strength for the road that's hard. In the name of Jesus, I pray that that strength would now come upon us because when we are weak, then you are strong. And it is true what you said, that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, that all of these struggles, all of these things that are before us are victories for you. And so we place it into your hands, looking to you to be the author and the finisher, the one who causes this to happen through your power in us and be glorified in us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to leave you with this scripture today from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, and take this with you. You are the light of the world. Is that good news? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.